Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Season 2 of Bridgerton. The Viscount Who Loved Me was written by Julia Quinn and published in the year 2000. And Season 2 of Bridgerton premiered on Netflix in 2022. And we're back in the Bridgerton world. I hope um, you didn't have to wait too long and you weren't sad that we hadn't covered it yet. So here we are. Yes. uh, Apparently, I think this season has also done really well in terms of like viewers and ratings. That's what I read too. Reviews. And so that was uh, really exciting to see. I'm glad it wasn't just like a one season fluke. Yeah. So I'm glad that we get to come back and discuss. I'm, I'm glad to discuss the second season of the show. Yes. My opinions on reading another Bridgerton novel, uh, I will leave up in the air for now. Who can guess what Ian thought of that? I, who, who knows? Who among us? After um, Daphne's season, um, last book and last season, um, we were left with kind of a setup about Antony, the eldest of the Bridgerton siblings, and the idea that Antony wants to get married this year. So setting that up, here we are in the new book, in the new season, and this is Antony's story. Yes. Uh, I I really liked the show kind of resetting his character a bit here. Yes. Because he was so much a, I don't say an antagonist last season. I mean, he kind of was. And to a degree, like he was kind of, you know, in Daphne and Simon's way, kind of like, I mean, I mean, yeah, an antagonist to a degree. So yeah. I was really curious. I'm like, is he going to be a relatable and interesting uh, protagonist for this season? Mm-hmm. And I think the show does a good job of starting us off with him Keeping certain traits from last season, like he stubbornness, stubbornness. He is wanting to get married, and he has these like ridiculously high standards. Yes, uh, and he kind of goes on this like speed dating. Yeah, for, you know, walking with these women, asking them about all Interviewing their hobbies. Them. I made a joke in my notes about like his Excel spreadsheets of women, <laughs> <laughs> which he, he doesn't would. actually have in the show, but he would in modern yes. day. Yes, <laughs> he's asking them like, "How's your Greek? How's your Latin? Yes, what, what type of instruments do you play?" And I love like in certain moments, a woman will say something that you know is the wrong answer, and he's like disgusted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's writing them off. And he's determined to marry out of duty. Um, it's clear from the beginning of the show and the book that he does not want to marry for love. He wants to marry to do his duty to his family, produce an heir for um, the Viscount estate. And that's it. He's not interested in love. He wants a lady with a, a wide set of birthing hips. Yes. And, and uh, a brain. And a brain. Yeah. That, that's his main criteria. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and this is intermixed with him also like dealing with like the family finances mm-hmm. and kind of like all. I, I don't know what people of this time with like estates and homes and landlords. Like, I don't know what they do, actually. A lot of paperwork. They're just sweating like. over a desk with paperwork <laughs> and a quill. And, and whiskey. Yes, and whiskey. <laughs> But, you know, kind of balancing out this, like, dedication to his family and also Mm -hmm. his motives for wanting to get married this season. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Kate, Edwina, and Lady Mary. So Kate is the eldest child. Edwina is her younger sister. And Lady Mary is Kate's stepmother and Edwina's birth mother. So an interesting family dynamic here. In the show, they are from India. Yes. And um, Kate and Edwina are of Indian descent. 
And Mary kind of has a past with the Ton. Yeah. Where she was named Diamond of the Season mm-hmm. uh, when she came out. Yes. And ended up marrying a commoner mm-hmm. and then like fucking off to India. Yeah. And this like really pissed the queen off. Mm-hmm. And so there's still kind of like... Uh, a lot of gossip and like, ooh, what's going to happen now that Mary's back? And Yeah, and even though that, that plot about the India thing doesn't happen in the book, it's still the same idea of Lady Mary marrying someone that her parents didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And, well, maybe it isn't. Is it? I can't. I can't remember. Remember, actually. Yeah. Because I remember, I felt like it was a while until we discovered that... Kate and Edwina were only half-siblings. Yeah. But I don't know if we ever got, like, a full... I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think in the book their situation is they're just kind of poor. Yeah. They don't have a lot of money. And so they had to wait for both sisters to come out at the same time instead of one one sister coming out and then the other at certain ages. So they can only afford to be in London for like one year. Yeah, they like saved up for five years, I think the book said, to like make it there. Yeah, I am blurry though on like what their specific family past is. Yeah, and so Kate's original, you know, birth mother died when she was very young. And then um, Mary uh, married her father. And then sadly, Kate and Edwina's father also passed away. Yes. So now um, Lady Mary is raising these two daughters on her own. And, you know, they're coming out in society. And in the show, um, Lady Mary was disinherited and kind of disowned by her parents and entire family because of her decision to marry a commoner. Yes. Uh, it is worth mentioning that Kate is 21 in the book. Yes. And 26 in the show. Yeah. So in both <laughs> versions, she's kind of considered like already a spinster and yeah. like already past like prime ripe marrying age. Although I object to the fact that this book thinks that 21 is too old. I know. It's like really. Because Jane in Pride and Prejudice yep. is 23 when she meets Bingley. Yeah. And people don't comment to her about being old. No. And I mean, I don't know if that's like. They're they're obviously in like a higher society in Bridgerton. So I don't know if it's like. That is an older age for them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if the expectation of them marrying sooner is more common in this, like, you know, London Mm -hmm. society. But regardless, it's, like, really silly in the book. (laughs) Even for the time period that, like, 21 is, like, she's practically in her grave. Yeah. But 26 (laughs) is a little more... A little more believable. Yes. Yes. Especially for that time. Um, In the show, too, Kate kind of has this plot with the Sheffields, her grandparents, the ones who, her step-grandparents, I guess, the ones who disowned her mother. And there's kind of this deal that if their, you know, birth granddaughter, blood granddaughter, marries um, a British nobleman, that they will give money to support Kate and her mother um, to live whatever kind of lifestyle they want. But it's basically going to be enough to support them. Yeah, yeah. And also, Lady Danbury is kind of sponsoring them this season. Yes, they're staying with her, which I like this being how Danbury is kind of, like, reincorporated into the plot this yeah, season. Yeah, because she's so great. Yeah, because she was tied to Simon's character last season, so mm-hmm. this makes sense for her. Yeah. And early on in the story, Edwina is named the Diamond of this season. Mm-hmm. In the book, it's just kind of, like, already happened yeah. when the book begins. Mm-hmm. And in the first episode of this season, uh, after Miss Lady Danbury kind of sweet talks the queen yes. about her. She, <laughs> she's named the diamond. Yeah. And Antony is kind of like, 
I'm going to marry the most eligible woman of this season. So once the diamond is named, he's like, okay, I'm going to marry Edwina. Yep, she's mine. <laughs> and they do have a scene where they dance together yeah. that I like, um, where they're kind of, he's talking and he's clearly impressed with her. Mm-hmm. But then the conversation turns to like their fathers and he realizes that both of their fathers have passed away. And this is yeah. kind of like, kind of more of a, a genuine connection between them. Mm-hmm. However, Kate is not impressed because she happened to overhear Antony uh, talking about all he wants is a woman <laughs> with a wide set of birthing hips. <laughs> and that's all he needs in a lady. Yeah, and in the show, they also had an encounter um, in the woods when she was on a yes. horse that was very mysterious and sexy. So they're not starting off on the best of terms. And Kate is like, you cannot marry this man. Yeah. In the book, it's just some stuff, some shit that Kate read in, in Lady Whistledown <laughs> that... I guess she's like, this is true. This is fact. Mm -hmm. And he is a uh, capital R rake. Yes. And speaking of Lady Whistledown, Mm -hmm. this season is interesting because we have had the reveal at the end of last season that Penelope is Lady Whistledown. Yes. And uh, in last, in the the episode that we we did, I kind of commented on like, I don't know if this is believable. Like, I'm not sure if it all fits together. So I was really appreciative that this season we get more of a behind-the-scenes look at how Penelope does this. Yes. She goes into the seedier sections of London mm-hmm. dressed as a, uh, like, a maid or, you know, a servant. Yeah. And does, a like, a Scottish accent. Irish accent. Irish accent to disguise herself. So that's how she's getting these pamphlets or the writings to the printer and, mm-hmm. like, orchestrating all of this. And it is interesting to kind of see how she has this all arranged. Yes. Uh, but a grand operation. Yes, but it also feels tenuous. Like, it doesn't feel, like, uh, very safe. And, in fact, she is spotted at one point by uh, Madame Delacroix. Yes, the, the, the modiste. The modiste. I always forget that term. <laughs> and she's kind of scared away. Yeah. And I think she realizes, like, I can't keep doing this. Like, mm-hmm. the way I'm doing it is too risky. Someone's going to recognize my face. Yeah. And so she actually takes this opportunity to approach the modiste and arrange a mutual uh, business transaction between them where she will kind of, like, talk favorably about the modiste and Lady Whistledown if Delacroix will, like, arrange for the uh, writings to be delivered to the printer and all that stuff. Yeah. So I kind of like seeing this business side Mm -hmm. of Penelope, too. Yeah, I like that, and I like what you were saying about it feeling tenuous you know she's not this like master genius right yeah like she is you know kind of this covert person because she has this secret identity but she's also like just a regular person trying to figure out how to do this you know running into obstacles so i liked that aspect to her character this season Mm -hmm. also uh at the beginning of this season eloise has come out Mm -hmm. into society and is clearly like very uncomfortable and like really struggling with it yeah like just having trouble with like the the mingling and the, the dancing the dancing and um but it's also difficult because now that Penelope now that she's out she's kind of like distracting Penelope yeah who is trying to do her lady whistle down shit <laughs> and so this is kind of like a wrench in her another wrench in her operation as well yeah uh let's talk about the featherington family Mm -hmm. because we left off so dramatically with the death the mysterious death of lord featherington (laughs) yes um and now there is going to be a new lord featherington some cousin from the americas is arriving shortly cousin jack yep and 
He is kind of young. You know, he's American. He has these like hunting trophies on the wall and everything. He has these ruby mines in Georgia, (laughs) which if anyone knows anything about Georgia, they're like, there are no ruby mines in Georgia. Not known for their ruby mines, as far as I'm aware. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Also, Cousin Jack reminds me of like a British Michael Sarah. Yeah. There's something about like his kind of round face and kind of like he's handsome, but kind of in a a dorky kind of way. Yeah. And so at this point, our uh, fan favorites here, um, Philippa and Mr. Finch, a.k.a. the Cheese Man, the are cheese able man. to finally get married. Yeah, which is so sweet. <laughs> I just, I would have loved to have more of them. I know. They're my favorite couple. Yes. Uh, of, the, of the whole series. <laughs> but so one of the three daughters is married off. And yeah. early on, Lady Featherington is like, we have to get the other daughters, you know, uh, Penelope and Prudence, Prudence married off. Uh, as quickly as we can, and then Cousin Jack finally shows up. Mm-hmm. She kind of wants Prudence to marry Cousin Jack. Yeah. She sees this as kind of a way to solidify their place because, you know, he has all these ruby mines, and it seems like he's courting another woman of, of the ton. And Lady Featherington is worried about losing her house, her place, everything. And so she thinks if she can get Prudence to marry Jack, then um, her future as well as her daughter's will be secure. I really love the one scene where they're like, what? But he's he's, he's my, my cousin. cousin. <laughs> and uh, Lady Featherington's like, what's wrong with marrying your cousin? It's very royal. It's very royal. <laughs> <laughs> Funny joke. Which, and, and this is like, I mean, in Pride and Prejudice, there's like cousin marrying. and All like, the time. Yeah, and it's like not weird, yeah. but it is weird. So I just like them <laughs> acknowledging that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that becomes Lady Featherington's plot for this season mm-hmm. is to marry off her daughter to the cousin. <laughs> Who's the the woman that he is courting at first? Cause Cressida. I, Cressida. 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 Okay. She was the bitch from last season. That's all I know. I'm like, she's the bitchy one. Yeah. She's like the mean girl. With the hair. Yes. The the wild, fancy hair. But when is she going to get married? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I don't know in the series who marries who or who ends up with who, at least in the book. So, like, she might have a role. Although she's not in the books, is she? I don't think so. I can't remember. I don't think she is. Or maybe she's just briefly mentioned in the last book. I don't know. She might be. But yeah, I'll, I'll be curious if she has some kind of, uh, you know, fate with another character at some point. I think that would be interesting. That would be really funny, actually. (laughs) What's happening with Kate and Edwina and Antony at this time, Ian? So they decide to have a uh, an outing to the horse races. Yes. And this is our our first really great butting of heads between Antony and Kate. Yes. Because Antony is still wanting to court Edwina while Kate is trying to cock block him at every turn. (laughs) Uh, and we don't know at first, but Antony actually gets his friend to distract Kate. Yeah. And flirt with her. I know. So he can court Edwina. Yes. Yeah. Dick move, uh, but brilliant. I love also um, in this scene when they're talking about the horses. Yes. Because Antony is voting, or not voting, uh, betting on a specific <laughs> horse. And Kate is like, oh, that's a stupid choice. Everyone's going to pick that one. And she just kind of like owns him and lists all the reasons why that horse is not going to win. And this yeah. horse is going to win that she picked. And then the race starts and they're like cheering. And then her horse wins. And she's like, yeah. And Antony's like so pissed. It's so fun. <laughs> And, like, also, Antony, like, there's this other nicer guy courting Edwina. Yeah. And Antony, like, tricks him to go get lemonade so he can, like, take his seat. Yeah. Like, there's just a lot of fun dynamics going on here. And, like, Kate and his 
chemistry is just so good. It is. Especially in these early on parts where they're just... Their banter. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. The book has kind of a similar but different scene where Kate and Antony are put together. Antony is arriving at their house to pay a visit to Edwina to begin his courtship, but she's out. And so Lady Mary, Kate's stepmother, is like, well, you know... Kate needs to take the dog, the corgi, Newton, on a walk. Why don't you go with her? And so they might run into Edwina on the way or something. They go on this walk, and the dog ends up getting loose and somehow knocks Edwina into the water. Yeah, the dog finds Edwina, and (laughs) Edwina's just standing right at the edge of the lake. Yeah. And then Antony has to get wet helping her out, and then he starts yelling at Kate Here's the thing. So in the last book, there was this part in the hallway between Daphne and Simon and this other guy. And it's this like super long, drawn out ordeal that just never seemed to end. Yeah. And then even when that scene did end, then they were in the ball of that scene. Still talking. Still (laughs) talking. And there were just parts of the book that just felt like these strung together scenes that just kept going, and you never got any relief from it. Yeah. And this part was especially bad in the book. Mm-hmm. Because first you have Antony having to hang out with Kate at the house waiting for Edwina. Yeah. And they're kind of like pissy and talking. And then a whole discussion about, oh, we should go take the dog for a walk. And then them talking <laughs> while they're walking the dog. And then the dog escaping and them chasing the dog for like a really long time. And then the dog knocking Edwina into the water, then him helping Edwina out, and then him being mad at Kate and yelling at Kate. And then, and then the dog shakes its fur and gets Antony all wet. And it just goes on forever. <laughs> and like maybe... If I liked the writing or it was more engaging in a different way, I wouldn't feel this way. Yeah. But something about these strung together scenes in this book just like feel like they never end. I know. And I think, and we were talking about this, like how so much happens, right? But if you were to film this scene, which they didn't, they did a different scene in the show, obviously. But if you were to film this, you would just kind of have it start in a different place, right? Yeah. Like, it would be maybe him running into Kate when she's walking the dog, mm-hmm. and he's on the way to the house, and she's like, Weena's not home, and then he's like, well, I'll walk with you to where she is, because maybe she's at the park. Yeah. And then this would happen, but, like, the whole, like, there's just too many scene changes, I think. And I think there's something about, like, you need to, like, have the characters break, or, like put a pin in it, you know, as to, like, where they are. Because, like, when you have one scene after another after another, you're kind of, like, building up this continuing dynamic that you almost have to be, like, have in your head the whole time. Yeah. It is interesting to analyze and try to figure out why it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, But it does does not not work. (laughs) (laughs) For me, anyway. Yeah, it's a little tiring. So around this point uh, in the show... They are going to their country estate, mm-hmm. and we are we begin to see these flashbacks yeah. to Antony when he's younger, and beginning with the tragic death of his dad. Yeah, and this is so sad, and I'm really glad we got these flashbacks, and it really gives an insight into Antony's character. We have, you know... Him hanging out with his dad, and you can just clearly see the relationship mm-hmm. between them. And the book talks a lot about how um, the, you know, Bridgerton father was super involved with his kids. Yeah. Like, really cared for them, like, showed them a lot of affection and love, was just a really good dad and was there for them. 
wasn't afraid to show them love and to let them know that they were loved. And um, Antony really looked up to his dad as like the his hero. He yeah. wanted to be his dad. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the book, this all takes place in the prologue, mm-hmm. um, you know, before any of the story kicks into place, this, uh, history of the dad's death and everything. And, and, and in this episode of the show, in the third episode, we get this kind of like peppered throughout the, the episode begins with his dad, specifically the death scene where mm-hmm. he gets stung by a bee. Yeah. And I kind of like, this is such a unique way of him dying. Yeah. And I like the show and book talk about how like. It's so hard to wrap your head around the idea that just a bee sting could have killed a man. Yeah. Especially a man that he admired and looked up to so much mm-hmm. and seemed so strong and young. Yeah. Uh, and that that really shook Antony. Mm-hmm. And so we get that scene and then immediately in the show, the, the show expands on this so much further. Yeah. So then immediately after his dad died, the, his mom is just, just grieving and just you know is beside herself Mm -hmm. and suddenly Antony is surrounded by servants asking him questions about like okay what do we do uh about arranging the funeral yeah Uh, you have to do all these things like for the finances Mm -hmm. like you have to do this and he's just like swarmed yeah with decisions and responsibility and Antony is 18 at the time and on top of this his mother is pregnant Mm -hmm. as well at this time so like like you said, everything is falling down on Antony. And you can see even the mother telling him to go to the other children, him having to be the one to like comfort them, break the news to them. Um, Not having a chance to really grieve himself because he's thrust into this role of responsibility. And we also get a lot with uh, Violet Bridgerton, the mom, because this is so devastating. She's pregnant at the time of her husband's sudden and tragic death. And so, you know, she is so devastated and heartbroken and she ends up going into labor. And this is all in the show. And it's a difficult labor. And we're not sure if she's going to survive. Yeah. And Antony is told he has to make a decision if the doctors should focus on saving his mother or saving the the, the child. This scene was so awful because Violet is just screaming, like, listen to me. Yeah. Talk to me. And like the the doctors won't listen to her. It's it's so awful. And just seeing the stress that puts on Antony. And I also love seeing this side of Violet as well. Yeah. Because I think Violet is such a consistently strong character in the show and Mm -hmm. kind of this like rock for the family. Yeah. But to see her in this kind of emotional place, Mm -hmm. I thought was like really interesting. Yeah. Um, But I I think so much was done. And then of course she's just grieving. And I don't know if she has like postpartum depression. I would would definitely say Or if it's just tied to like the dad dying Mm -hmm. or, you know, but Antony is trying to like, kind of like cheer her up or try to figure out how he can help her. And she just tells him like without his father around, it's like she's without oxygen. Yeah. And seeing this grief that she's going through, I think is the key thing to like inform you of why he feels the way he does today about love and not really caring or even wanting to fall in love Mm -hmm. with who he marries. I mean, he sees his mother literally 
completely fall to pieces. Like she's not able to be there for her kids, for her new baby even. Um, And a lot of that responsibility falling to Antony. And Antony is like, I never want to put anyone through that if I die. And I never want to experience that if the person I love dies. So he kind of vows that he is never going to fall in love or marry for love because he doesn't want to endure um, such tragedy and trauma. The book is a little bit different where he kind of has this irrational idea that because his dad was his hero and the person that he wanted to be and he died at age 38, that Antony will also die at that same age. And part of that is justified in the fact that he doesn't know if he's allergic to bees or not. Yeah. And that could be the thing that kills him. But it's almost just like this phobia that just gets stronger and stronger over the years of his grief where he's like, I'm going to die at 38 or 39 and um, I can't fall in love because I don't want to leave someone behind to suffer. Yeah. And, you know, it's not that I think this is like bad or not handled well, but when compared to the show and how the show explores like the nuance and like specifically what he went through. Yes. The irrational fear he has in the book kind of feels a little shallow by comparison. Definitely. It's just like, okay, like I get he is traumatized, but also I'm just not connecting with this. Like, I wish it was able to dive deeper into this fear he has and, like, what's at the root of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the scenes of um, Antony, just the weight on his shoulders and even not having a chance to properly grieve his father. Like, I think that's so impactful and you immediately understand why he is the way he is, why he's so controlling and stubborn because he feels this sense of duty and he is, you know, terrified of letting his family down. Yeah, I I just think the show did such a remarkable job of like taking this kernel of an idea from the book and just really running with it. Mm -hmm. So everybody arrives to the Bridgerton country home for like a party yeah a, like a just retreat. group event i don't know uh yes but kate edwina and mary were invited early like by a day or two mm-hmm. uh which is like a good sign for edwina yeah because edwina does want to marry at least in the show yes uh edwina wants to marry antony and really kate is the only one who's like no yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she's doing it because she knows she wants her sister to marry for love and she wants her to be happy and she doesn't think that antony can do that if he doesn't want to marry anybody for love yes. you know we have one of my favorite scenes in the book and the show which is the pal mal or paul mall i don't know yeah, I'm not sure the pronunciation. It's like a croquet game. Yeah, I don't even know how it differs from croquet. I don't know. Isn't it just croquet? I feel like it is. Although the sticks look a little different. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's the factor. Yes. And so Kate and Edwina join this classic Bridgerton game <laughs> that the Bridgerton siblings are super competitive over. And I love how realistic this is for like a big family, right? Yeah. And this game that they play every year, they have like mallets that are like theirs. Yeah, the That colors. they claim as theirs. And like they argue over like who won which year and all that stuff. They get to put the um the gates, I forget what they're the called. The wickets. The wickets like in like really ridiculous <laughs> spots. Yeah. And uh, they're just super competitive with each other. And mm-hmm. it's like, I just love seeing the family dynamic in these scenes. Yes. Um. 
So yeah, so Kate is immediately like game for this. She's like, I'm into this. <laughs> yeah, she also just wants to be better than Antony and yeah. defeat him. Uh, Edwina is a lot less into this. Yeah. She's just kind of like, oh, this is like a nice game. And the Bridgertons are like, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love the part where she hits her ball into like a bush. Yeah. And they're like, you can go get it. And she's like, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm okay. I'm and done. she just ends the game yeah. for her anyway. And just showing like how Kate is so much similar to Antony and kind of how Edwina is different. Yeah. I'm not bad, but just like not quite as similar. Yeah. Kate ends up uh, stealing Antony's mallet of death. Yeah. The black mallet. And the two of them kind of get into it where um, in the show, Kate ends up knocking Antony's ball away in the book. Antony knocks Kate's ball away, <laughs> yeah. but um, in the end, they both end up kind of far away from the others, mm-hmm. and their their balls are in um, like a puddle or a bush or mud. Yes, and <laughs> in the show, it's this whole like silly kind of funny moment of them trying to like knock them out and like just getting muddy and ridiculous. And yeah, it, it's kind of a moment in the show for them to reset and mm-hmm. try to agree to not assume the worst about each other. Yeah, uh, but. <laughs> Uh, Antony catches a glimpse of his dad's grave mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> All teasing is done now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Edwina thinks in the show this whole time that Antony is going to propose at any moment. And it seems like he's going to at this one dinner and then he ends up not doing it. And Antony's sort of like going back and forth because Edwina is perfect for him on paper, but he just feels like a little uncertain about it. Daphne, who's here, except for Simon. Simon's not in this season, but Daphne's around. And she kind of gives a talk because Daphne seems to be the only one who really can tell what's going on between Antony and Kate. And he Mm kind of she kind of gives Antony a talk about like "Mm, who who in your life makes you feel like a certain feeling that's like really intense. And Mm -hmm. and Antony, like, I think is picking up on what she's trying to tell him, but is. Too stubborn. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. In the book, though, Antony doesn't really seem like he's paying that much attention to Edwina. Nope. It's basically him just, like, arguing with Kate all the time. And, in fact, Edwina is really not interested in Antony at all. No. She's just kind of like, whatever. In fact, later on in the book, she's like, oh, yeah, no, I could tell that you two were into each other. Yeah, it was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, once again, the book has this setup, Mm -hmm. but doesn't really utilize it as well as it could. Of the love triangle. Yes. Mm -hmm. And where's the show really? And and I think the show handles it really well, where you understand why Antony is pursuing Edwina. Yeah. And how it's not mean. It's just kind of like the society of the time. Yeah. That he, like, doesn't love her, but he does respect her. Yeah. And does see the the matches being like good for both of them. Mm-hmm. And you understand why Edwina does love him and why Caden, ha- like it, it just works. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it sat when I read the synopsis for this season, I'm like, Oh, that's going to be bad. He's courting the one sister, <laughs> but wanting to fuck the other one. And yeah. I'm like, how are they going to pull that off? But like, I think it does it really well. Yeah. And Kate wanting the best for her sister too. Yeah. You know, if that means marrying Antony or not marrying Antony, depending on what she wants. Um, let's talk about a scene in the book though, where Kate kind of ends up in Antony's study accidentally. Yep. 
It also has an appearance of the opera singer. Yeah. That was actually in last season. We don't get her in this season, but it's kind of interesting that they included her because it's implied in this book that Antony had an affair with her in the past. And so like kind of giving us like, oh, we already had that. Yeah, and I wonder what other things we've seen in both these seasons that haven't been in the books yet, but maybe in the books later. Yeah. Uh, I'll be curious to see what pops up. This scene, though, um, Kate is hiding under his desk, and Antony is clearly trying to, like, seduce this opera singer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then Antony sees that Kate is under his desk. So I'm just going to read this scene. And then he saw her under his desk. It was impossible. Surely this was a nightmare. Surely if he closed his eyes and opened them again, she'd be gone. He blinked. She was still there. Kate Sheffield, the most maddening, irritating, diabolical woman in England, was crouching like a frog under his desk. It was a wonder he didn't drop the whiskey. Their eyes met and he saw hers widen with panic and fright. Good, he thought savagely. She should be frightened. He was going to tan her bloody hide until her hide was bloody well bloody. What the hell was she doing here? Wasn't dousing him with the filthy water of the serpentine enough for her bloodthirsty spirit? Wasn't she satisfied with her attempts to stymie his courtship of her sister? Did she need to spy on him as well? Maria, he said smoothly, moving forward towards the desk until he was stepping on Kate's hand. He didn't step hard, but he heard her squeak. This gave him immense satisfaction. Maria, he repeated, I suddenly remembered an urgent matter of business that must be dealt with immediately. This very night, she asked, sounding quite dubious. I'm afraid so. Uh. Maria blinked. Did you just grunt? No, Antony lied, trying not to choke on the word. Kate had removed her glove and wrapped her hand around his knee, digging her nails straight through his breeches and into his skin. Hard. At least he hoped it was her nails. It could have been her teeth. Are you sure there's nothing amiss? Maria inquired. Nothing at whatever body part Kate was sinking into his legs sank a little farther. All. The last, world came, the last word came out as more of a howl, and he kicked his foot forward, connecting with something he had a sneaking suspicion was her stomach. Normally, Antony would die before striking a woman, but this truly seemed to be an exceptional case. In fact, he took not a little bit of pleasure in kicking her while she was down. She was biting his leg, after all. <sighs> yeah. I, I just, like... This dynamic of him wanting to, like, do her bodily harm is kind of repeated throughout the book. You could, I've never thought this in my life, but you could have a drinking game to this book. Uh, The first rule is take a shot every time Antony jokes or imagines himself inflicting or killing someone. Yeah. In this story. It is a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes I think it's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Like, oh, this man is just like pushed to his limits with these women and Mm -hmm. and is like thinking that he would rather kill them or something like. Strangle them. It's not funny, but like I think the book thinks it's funny. Yeah. And other times I think it's supposed to be like showing his passion. Yeah. Like it's. His dominance. Yeah. Or dominance. But like, I swear to God, the number of times this book talks about him strangling someone, killing someone. In his mind. Striking someone, (laughs) threatening someone. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And I just, like, he kicks her in the stomach and is like, good. You know? It's not, it's just not great. And then later in this scene, he kisses her as well. And she's kind of like, 
very overwhelmed by him and he uses his body and his presence to kind of intimidate her, which I also don't like. Yeah. And this was a problem of the last book as well. Yeah. And I I guess I'm not surprised because like Antony is a very similar character to Simon from the last book. They're both like macho dominating men who like have their way and are frustrated and like. And are rakes, you know. And are rakes. seducing women. Yeah. I. I would be curious to read the third book, which is uh, Benedict's story, because so far in the book, or both books, Benedict has been portrayed as like this carefree, laid back, yeah. fun loving kind of guy. Still a womanizer, but not like smug about it. Yeah, and not like angry and, and brooding competitive. and competitive. And I'm like, but I wouldn't be shocked if we read his book and he's like, oh, I just want to murder this woman. She's so infuriating. (laughs) Like, I just feel like every male character is going to be reduced to that in these books. I guess we'll we'll have to see. We probably will, I I imagine. I imagine we'll do more episodes of this. (laughs) Considering the success of this season as well. Yeah. Let's um, talk about the show right now. We're going to break it up a bit and talk about the show first and then the book here because they diverge somewhat significantly. Yeah. So in the show, Kate gets stung by a bee. Yes. They are talking in the garden. Antony is explaining how he still plans on proposing to Edwina. Mm -hmm. And then a bee shows up. Yeah. And Antony begins to panic and the bee lands on Kate and stings her. Yeah. Antony at this moment seems to have a legitimate panic attack. Yeah. Um. And Edwina is trying, or not Edwina, Kate is yes. trying to assure him that she's okay and actually takes his hand and puts it on her chest, kind of over her heart to steady him. I loved this part. I know. Like, it just feels like a genuine connection. And yeah. her, like, she can tell, like, he's genuinely, like, having, like, a, a kind of episode. Yeah. And, like, helping him work through it, like, kind of help, guiding him through breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's this very intimate and kind of like, I think sexy is like not doing it justice because yeah. it's more than sexy. It's like it's this, an emotional moment. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's really well done. But you can tell that they're like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> then we get a hunting scene where we get uh, Antony showing Kate how to hold a gun very sexily. <laughs> yes. uh, by the way, Kate's hunting outfit. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. The hat. The hat. Yes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and. I love it, too, because this scene is, like, silly, right? Yeah. Like, she's aiming her rifle, and he's like, no, let me show you how to hold a rifle the like right kind way. Of behind and, her. And he's, like, smelling her, and they're going to, like, kiss. And, like, it's silly, but the show does it really well. Mm-hmm. Where, like, I think it's partly their chemistry is just so good yeah. that it can get away with, like, sillier scenes like this. Mm-hmm. Um there's a scene after this, too, where Kate is up at night because of a storm, mm-hmm. and Antony finds her in the library. Yeah. And they kind of have a, a talk. They talk about um, their fathers. You know, Kate mentions that her father would read to her mm-hmm. during thunderstorms and kind of mentioning the loss of him. And then Antony ends up telling her that his father died from a bee sting. Yeah. And this is where it connects for Kate, what had happened earlier. Yeah. And this is just another great scene of them bonding and, like, connecting at a level that's, like, you know, they they have their fun kind of um, jabbing flirtation, yes. right? But and this is great because it's them, once again, bonding just at a deeper level. Yeah, and it seems like Antony might be falling for her and be into her. And around this time, she ends up telling him that she plans to go back to India once her sister is married. Yeah. This is the height of their like 
It's after a dance. <laughs> yeah. They're like alone they in a study. They keep almost kissing. Yeah. He keeps getting like in her face and like. Yeah. I thought this episode pushed this like a little too far. Maybe one too many times that they almost kissed. Yeah. Because if they if they had kissed this scene. Yeah. It would have been okay. Yeah. But they don't. And I'm like, okay, that's three scenes in this episode. Yeah. After we left off last episode on a scene where they almost kiss. Yeah. And I'm like, you can't keep almost kissing <laughs> this many times. Yeah, come on. Yeah, it was a little too much. Um, and Daphne sees them, and so that adds to her concern about Antony and his choices for getting married. But uh, Antony, at the end of this episode, ends up proposing to Edwina right when everyone is leaving the country estate and going back to London. So now Antony and Edwina are engaged. Yes, he's he's made his decision. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, shift to the book now yeah. in terms of what happens at the uh, at the country estate. Yes. Um, we have a scene where Kate is kind of warming up to Antony again. He apologizes for the kiss in his study. And then he's really nice to Penelope because people are bullying her. Yeah. And he escorts her into the ball, mm-hmm. which gives me flashbacks of... Um, Mr. Knightley and Emma. Yeah, yeah. Which I I liked a lot. Um, And, you know, showing a good side to Antony, even though, like, there's been very little of it. And it feels like out of the complete. (laughs) Too little, too late. Yes, out of the blue. (laughs) Uh, There's also a scene, a similar scene where there's a thunderstorm. Except instead of being, like, mildly upset about the thunderstorm, Kate is, like, like, reduced to... Uh, the fetal a catatonic po- Yes, like she's in the fetal position. Yeah. And is like unresponsive. Yeah. she. It seems like she's having like a post-traumatic stress episode. Yeah. Where um, she is literally like unable to hear or see and she's just kind of comatose um, because she's so scared of the thunderstorm. Antony ends up finding her and seeing that she's like in this condition and ends up kind of sitting next to her talking to her very gently, trying to um, coax her out of this terror that she's feeling. It's yeah. a very sweet moment between them where he can just see how distressed she is and he wants to help her. Yeah. Okay. Then we get the bee sting scene. Yes. Adina. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> wow. Wow. So we talked about how in the show it's this, like, sweet, tender, and, yeah. like, interesting moment between them. In the book, they are out on the grounds together talking when similar setup, a bee shows up Mm -hmm. and stings Kate and sending Antony into like a panic. panic. Except this instance, it starts off with him grabbing her really hard, hurting her. Yeah. And then being like, (laughs) I need to get the stinger out. Yeah. Which is on, on your her, boob. On her boob. Yeah. So he does that, and she's like, "What are stop you doing? Touching stop! Me. Stop! Get off me!" And like, then he's like, "I have to suck the venom out." Which is that a thing with bee stings? No. Do you suck the venom out of a bee sting? I thought that was just snakes. It. It. it <laughs> first of all, it is with snakes, except it's not. Like, don't ever do that. Oh, That's, really? Yeah. No, you're not supposed. To. <laughs> first of all, it's like already like too late. Like mm. once you were bit by something like. It's in there. Okay. Like, you're not going to be able to suck it out. It's in your bloodstream. So yeah. it's already, like, ridiculous. And then, like, for a bee sting, <laughs> which, like, I swear to God, like, three minutes had already passed. Yeah. And he's like, okay, time. Now time to suck the venom out. Time to suck on your tit. <laughs> uh, when no one's around. And he's, like, 
like pulling her dress down. Yeah. And is like. His mouth is on her boob. Yeah. When all of a sudden his mom and Mrs. Featherington and Mary <laughs> walk up on them. Yeah. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> And Antony's like, she was stung by a bee. And, and and his mom's like, oh, yeah, OK, oh, yeah, no, I, okay. I get it. I get it. And now. then everyone else is like, I mean, you have to marry her now. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just have to get married. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the exact situation that was in the previous book. Exactly. When Daphne and Simon were caught in the garden making out and then Antony kind of forced Simon to marry his sister. Like there was that duel and everything else. But like it's the same like them getting caught and having to marry each other because of their reputations. Yes. Here's the big difference, though, is that in the last book, when they were caught, you had the following duel scene because Simon refused to marry Daphne and uh, Antony challenged him to the duel. Yeah. So Simon had to make that decision of, like, I'd rather die yeah. first. And then Daphne had to make the decision of, like, I have to find them. And save And him. stop this. And yeah. yeah. So there's still, like, a decision involved in the marrying, right? Yeah. Like, even though they were caught and kind of being forced to marry, like, they still both decided to do it. Yeah. In this story, I swear to God, the characters make no decisions to progress the plot at all. No. Uh, Antony is wanting to marry Edwina, but like challenging Kate and like them having this whole rivalry. Yeah. And then they just get caught together mm-hmm. due to circumstances that are like beyond either of their control. And very silly. And very <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and then they just have to get married. Yeah. And I'm like, how was this a plot? Well, here's the thing, Ian. I think the problem is that these are historical romance novels, right? So they're the characters are really not allowed to have sex with each other before no. they get married. But the author wants to be able to write multiple sex scenes mm-hmm. and not just have it be not important to the plot and have something happen afterwards. So somehow she has to get these characters to marry each other while they're still going through this falling in love phase. Yes. Then they can fuck a lot. Yes. <laughs> no, that's absolutely yeah. the situation. Yeah. How do you... These, how do you get these characters to marry while still having tension and like yeah. not being in love or like yeah. what's the situation? Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what the other books. How is she going to do this every time? Yeah, how does this happen <laughs> multiple times? I have no clue. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Let's go back to the show and cover some of like the B storylines and like secondary characters at this point. Yeah. Uh, the Featheringtons. Yes. Um, Lady Featherington has this whole plot how she's going to get Prudence to marry uh, Cousin Jack because he's very not interested in Prudence. (laughs) (laughs) So she sends them both into the orangery and then has... That her and some other people discover them and it'd be like, oh, they're alone together. They must get married. Yeah. And they're clearly just talking. Yeah. And Lady Featherington is like his arm was around her waist <laughs> and like basically just creates this situation. I think this is funny as a callback to season one. Yes. And the fact that they do the same thing in this book, but don't actually do it in the show. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I love that. It just kind of like highlighting like how silly this like. Where are the rules with this? I like, know. is it just when someone's pissed off about it? Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, though, Lady Featherington, she got what she wanted, except for the fact that Lord Featherington, uh, is broke as shit. 
Yeah. Uh, in fact, there are no ruby mines in Georgia, it no. turns out. <laughs> and he has no money. And his whole plan had been to marry up yeah. in society and be able to provide for everyone mm-hmm. by t- trapping a, a girl <laughs> yeah. into a marriage. Exactly. Um, so that's all fucked up now. Yeah. So then the two of them begin plotting anew on how they can defraud these gentlemen as investors in his mines. Uh, yes. So he's going to continue to take investments for the mines that mm-hmm. aren't doing anything. And then I guess just leave at some point. Yeah. I don't know what their long term goal yeah. is, but the two of them definitely have some chemistry here. I thought this was so funny because <laughs> in early scenes, I'm like, I feel like I feel like there's something between them. Like, <laughs> am I imagining this? Yeah. Like, I feel like there's some sexual tension. Yeah. Even though I, I couldn't even pinpoint what it is. Yeah. And maybe it's just actor chemistry Mm -hmm. but then later on when they start to play off that i'm like okay yeah i love that he's into her because she's devious yeah and that he's attracted to that yes (laughs) and at one point later on when they've accepted like pretty much all the tons offers on investment in the ruby mines they're kind of sad because they're like business (laughs) is like done yeah and they're like oh like maybe we could go like do more plotting yeah lady featherington's like maybe we could go to the country and like (laughs) defraud more people uh but yeah so this is kind of like I like this overall arc yes for the featheringtons this season Mm -hmm. because I think they could have easily been not sidelined yeah and not that interesting but like I like everything they did with Cousin Jack. I totally agree. Uh, Should we talk about Benedict now? Yes. Benedict is continuing to pursue his art, but kind of at a a leisurely pace, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's definitely like the chillest of his siblings. Yeah. Um, He... But he does want to pursue art, and he eventually applies to the art academy. And we have to talk about the scene where he's waiting on his acceptance, so he's nervous. And his brother Colin is like, hey, try this stuff that I got on my travels. It'll, like, calm you down. And then Benedict is so high at this family dinner, and it is so funny. It's so great. And I love, like... (laughs) They do play it up a lot for comedic effect, but it's not, like, too much. Yeah. It's, like, a really good amount of him just, like, looking at the candles and being like, oh, my God, it's like we're surrounded by stars. finger painting later. Yeah, he's, like, (laughs) painting abstract now. Um, I think this is a a great highlight of one of the ways I think this show improved a lot this season. Yeah. In that I felt like season one was trying really hard to be like, yes, it's a period romance, but it's like edgy. Yeah. Like we have men boxing and like yes. bare knuckle fighting and like a lot of sex scenes. A lot of sex <laughs> scenes and like everyone's just naked and fucking outdoors and yeah. it's like really hot and like the the queen is just constantly snorting her, yeah, her snuff. Her snuff and like it's cool. And I, I felt like that got a little grating at points in the first season. Like, I will never forget the part where Anthony and Simon get in that fight yeah. at the gentleman's bar. <laughs> and I forget who, one of them body slams the other through a wood table. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> and I felt like this season pulled back so much on that. Yeah. And like, this is a moment that like, once again, is kind of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's high society, but like they're doing drugs. Right? Yeah. But like, it wasn't too much with it yeah and it wasn't trying to be like edgy it was just kind of a fun little moment yeah and and 
kind of doing a lot for Benedict's character, right? Because yeah. we're seeing that he is sort of the type that he likes having sex with people. He's fine with doing drugs. He's kind of like just chill and whatever. He has no responsibility because he's not really the heir. Um, he ends up getting accepted to the art academy. Seems like he's doing well. He's having sex with the nude models. <laughs> yep. He's painting the new models. He's making friends until he discovers that the reason he was accepted was because Antony donated money to the art academy. Fucking nepotism. Nepotism and... strikes again. <laughs> Although I would bet that every person in that academy had to pay their way. I he could not be <laughs> the only one. Like for the time, I'm I'm guessing that that was really common. Yeah. Uh. So Benedict is like really upset about this, mm-hmm. but by the end of the show, he ends up kind of like seeming to. Make amends with Antony over that. Yeah, he's not mad at Antony, but it seems like he's leaving the Academy. And I'm guessing that this is supposed to set up uh, the next season with him. Yeah. Let's talk about Colin. Yes. Colin returns from his travels with very unfortunate facial hair. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, I kind of like what they're doing with Colin. I was curious because in the, um, in the book, he's this huge rake. Yeah. He's, like, maybe the worst of them. Yeah. And, like, really kind of mischievous. Loves causing trouble, and chaos. Was, yeah. And I was wondering if he would return from his travels changed into that character. Yeah. But, no, he's still pretty much the same as he was, except mm-hmm. he's just kind of aimless now. Yeah, he doesn't really know what he wants to do after his travels. And he's still sad about Marina, even though he went on these travels to get over her, basically. Yeah. And while they're in the country estate, he finds out that she's living nearby and decides to go visit her. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of an awkward visit. Yeah. And he ends up meeting her husband, mm-hmm. Philip, and they end up, like, bonding and connecting. And it's, like, very, very funny. I know. But he ends up having this uh, uh, discussion with Marina, and she's kind of like, wake up. Stop looking in the past. Like, yeah. move forward. Yeah. You can't keep... Wishing things were different. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, I wish things were different. I'm sorry that I treated you this way. And I think that she is very much living in her circumstance right now. She talks... It doesn't seem like she and Philip are in love, But, like, she seems like she is fine with her situation. Yeah. Right? You know, she has her kids. She has her husband. She has her estate she's provided for. And I think Colin coming in and trying to act like they had something more is upsetting to her. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so she kind of gives him a slap of reality. And, like, I don't know how much it stuck with Colin. Yeah. In a scene later, he kind of is still thinking, like, uh, I think Lady Whistledown is the reason that, like, all this, like, went wrong. And, yeah. Um, but he's like, I do need to be, like, thinking about the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, his future involves in possibly investing in... The Georgian ruby those mines. Those famous Georgian <laughs> ruby mines. <laughs> Peach trees and ruby mines. <laughs> <laughs> are we What's are we going back to uh, Kate and Antony right now? Yes. So... Uh, they are back from their country time, and yeah. Antony is now planning the wedding with Edwina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but things are still tense and kind of sexy with him and Kate. Yeah. It's so much sexy tension. <laughs> like, a ton of sexy tension. Every time they, like, look at each other, they're, like, slow-moing, you know? Yeah. Like, they suddenly start walking really slow and, like, eyeing each other. Just and like eye-fucking from across I the know. room. <laughs> so intense, yeah. We also get in the show here, um, the Sheffields, 
So Edwina's grandparents and uh, Lady Mary's parents coming in and wanting to kind of make amends with their daughter and accept their granddaughter here, um, except they're huge pieces of shit. Yeah. They just keep being like, boy, Mary, you really suck, huh? <laughs> this whole situation's your fault. And, and it, it's Giles, too. It is. It's Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know. Slayer. And I was sad. He was such a dick in this. I would have never recognized him. <laughs> I recognized had. his voice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do like this moment because Anthony stands up to the Sheffields and basically kicks them the fuck out. Yeah. And he's like, well, if everyone's so beneath you to socialize, then you can just leave. Yeah. The plot, though, about them providing money for Kate and her mother if Edwina marries well is revealed here. And so Edwina feels betrayed. Um, Antony actually feels like he's been manipulated as well. Um, And so this causes a lot of tension. And this is what we're saying, like, the back and forth is kind of a lot. Like, at one point, Antony's like, I'm going to break off the engagement. Kate's like, no, don't do that. And like, they have these moments together where he's like, I'm so into you. I can't stand it. And she's like, I'm into you too, but we can't do it. It's just a lot. Yeah, this episode was a big dip for me and kind of had me worried about like the remaining episodes because... It's just so frustrating. You're just like, just commit, please. Yeah, do something. Like, Antony, you said you were going to marry Edwina. Please just at least act like you don't like Kate. I know the tension is just unbearable, but like, it it gets to be like, just very frustrating. Mm -hmm. And you know the whole thing's going to fall apart. Like, it doesn't have to project it this hard. Yeah. And... Yeah, this this episode was kind of a, a lull for me where I was like worried about what where it was going to go from here. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the wedding. And again, this is all show like the book. Yes, we, we were leaving leaving off in the book and like Antony and Kate have to get married. And we're like halfway through the book. Yeah. But in the show, Antony is about to marry Edwina and the queen is putting on the wedding herself. Yes, uh, she there's this pressure put on her from Lady Whistledown mm-hmm. about like. Is uh, the way we do things with, like, the the courtship and the marrying, is it all bullshit? Yeah. And the queen's like, no. And to prove that, I have to put on, like, the best, most, like, wild wedding of the season. She also has this plot to kind of send out these false rumors and have these spies out to try to find out who Lady Whistledown is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the queen has a lot invested in this wedding. Yes. And then here we go at the ceremony uh, Kate is wearing these very distracting bangles. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I love the bangles because uh, Kate was given them by her her birth mother, her birth mother for when she got married and she wanted to give them to Edwina. Yeah. And I really like this clearly being like putting this responsibility of getting married on Edwina. Mm-hmm. And Edwina's like, no, like you might get married. Yeah. Like Kate's just not even considering that for herself. And so yeah. Edwina has to insist on her wearing the bangles and keeping them for herself. Yeah. She's like so sac- self-sacrificing, but at the same time, Edwina might not want them, you know? And yeah. I think this is a hint, definitely a hint for things to come, but Edwina gives the bangles back and Kate is wearing them. And I think during the ceremony, I think this show just as the perfect amount yes. of clues. Mm-hmm. So it begins with like Ant- Anthony not being able to look away from Kate. Yeah. And like just staring at her. In fact, imagining her yes. getting married to him. And Edwina's kind of noticing something here. Yeah, and she's like, hey, look look at me. Yeah, we're, we're getting married look right now. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and Anthony kind of snaps out of it. And then the shoe or bangle drops when... Yes. <laughs> Kate drops her bangle and 
Antony fucking dives on the ground for it, basically. And the two of them kind of like lock eyes on the ground together. He's putting the bangle back onto her wrist. Yes. And then Weena sees this and is just like, oh, no. Yeah. And I like I said, I think this is the perfect amount because like it would probably be a little weird for people sitting and watching. Yeah. But not like, oh, this is a sign of something. But yeah. for Edwina, it's enough for things to click into place and yeah. for her to realize like, oh, my God, there's something between them. So she runs away back down the aisle. Yes. Away from Antony. And this whole episode is kind of like. You know, Kate talking to Edwina, Antony talking to Edwina, Kate and Antony talking together. Everybody trying to figure out what's going on. Yes. The queen doesn't let any of the guests leave. (laughs) She still wants the wedding to continue. She wants Lady Danbury to intervene. But what I really like here is that a lot of these facades and intentions for Kate, Antony, and Edwina are finally falling apart and we're getting the truth behind everything. Yeah, and Edwina, I especially like, too, that, like, I told myself when this episode began, I'm like, if Antony is the one to call off the wedding, yeah. I'm going to be so mad. I know. Because, like, he's already waffled so much on everything, uh, unable to commit. And, and like, you feel so bad for Edwina. Yes, but I love that this episode puts the decision and the choice and the power in Edwina's hands. Yeah. The fact that she figures out what's going on. She calls off the ceremony Mm -hmm. and then it's up to her whether she wants to like continue or not. Yeah. And I think too, you feel so bad for Edwina throughout up until this point in the show because she seems so pure and innocent and naive and kind of like being taken advantage of to a degree. Yeah. But in this episode, like she not only gains this power back, but you realize that she is a very intelligent emotionally intelligent person. Yeah, and she wants to make her own decisions. And she confronts Kate about this and is like, you've been pushing this idea on me that I have to do this and that. I have to have this perfect life. And really, it's what you want for me, not what I want for myself. Yeah. You know, and calling Kate out for... You know, Kate thinking that she's making all these sacrifices for Edwina, but she's not actually consulting Edwina on any of this. She's deciding what's best for her and then doing it. And Edwina's like, I am my own person. Yeah. I can make my own choices and I don't need you to take care of me and to rule my life anymore. And we get her talking with Antony too when Antony kind of admits that he doesn't love her and is like, we both have our roles to play. You know, I have this family I want to take care of, this Bridgerton name I need to carry on, and you're the diamond, and we would fit really well together, and Edwina kind of realizing that this isn't enough for her. Yeah, I just love her getting to tell them both off and kind of put them in their place Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, claiming this for herself. Yeah. The only thing I don't like is that this episode ends with Kate and Antony kissing. Yeah. Which feels like, to me... And in that moment, it felt like them embracing the fact that, like, we love each other and we need to figure this out. But then the next episode, they're like. Not together. No, it's it's like that never happened. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. I kind of felt like a weird way to end that episode Mm -hmm. if that wasn't the direction they were going to go. I I agree. There is another good scene in this part with um, the king coming in. Yeah. When Edwina's there with the queen. And Edwina kind of showing, again, like her uh, strength of character and coming in and stepping in and kind of handling the situation in a way that doesn't embarrass the king or the queen. Yeah. And the queen is like clearly so grateful in Mm -hmm. this moment and like respects Edwina and gives Edwina a pep talk about like 
you're the diamond of the season because like you have great qualities. Yeah. And it's not just Antony being into you that makes you like a good person. Yeah. I like that. I love the queen's character. I love she's that. She's great. I love that she's like kind of so shitty and conniving, but like there is like a good deep level to her. Yes. Of like humanity. Mm-hmm. But like that doesn't negate the fact that she's like conniving. <laughs> yes, I know. You can be both. You can be. Uh, So she has her spies out, right? Um, And her spies end up following Eloise because Eloise has been having a whole grand adventure this whole season. (laughs) She's been all over the place. She so, you know, it started off with her being in society now and being uncomfortable with that. And that's kind of continued. There was a time when she had to dance with a guy and she just could not stand him and like left and made Mm -hmm. a whole scene. Then she's like, okay, I'm back on the Lady Whistledown thing. I'm going to track her down. She's like figuring out the printer and like, you know going to the printers and trying mm-hmm. to like figure all that out. She meets a handsome young man named Theo. Yeah. Uh, who she kind of intellectually connects with mm-hmm. and is like attracted to. Yeah. And he ends up sharing these pamphlets with her that are about feminism, the rights of women. And she ends up going to some meetings of these lovely feminists. Yes. Um, and just kind of other like social reform groups, I think. Um, and so she's getting involved in this. She's finding um, satisfaction with this. And she's also seeming to fall in love with Theo. And this whole time, Penelope knows about what's happening and is she's trying to get uh, Eloise to stop. Yeah, because I mean, this is like kind of very scandalous and like Eloise is going to create a huge situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, this happens when the queen thinks that Eloise is Lady Whistledown because she sees her sneaking off to the printer and then she threatens her like, you better start writing nice things about me or (laughs) I'm going to like make your life hell. Mm -hmm. And Eloise is deciding what to do. She's like, maybe I'll print a fake pamphlet. Yeah. And this leads Penelope to having to talk shit on Eloise and reveal all her secrets in a Lady Whistledown to prove it. To prove to the queen that it's not her. Yeah, I don't know about this logic. I think... It's pretty flawed. I think Eloise calling Penelope out on this later is very accurate because I think this is a very shitty thing to do. And this calls back to what Penelope did with Colin last season, you know, revealing that. And I think her motives in that one could be maybe a little bit more easily understood. And like she is trying to help Eloise and her family um, not get the queen like super pissed off. But I don't know. I think there could have been a better way to do this. And I think Penelope sharing in the Whistledown papers that Eloise was seen with a commoner and was attending these feminist and anarchist rallies was just really shocking and devastating and actually ended up hurting Eloise and the Bridgerton family, which is what what have, what would have happened if the queen still thought she was Lady Whistledown anyway. Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, like, Eloise's arc this season was really all over the place. She had too many things going on. Yeah. And I mean, you could boil it down to, thematically, it's Eloise, what what is expected of her in society and to court men. Yeah. Versus what she actually wants, which is, like, feminism and talking to, like... Intellectual stuff. Yeah, like, you could condense it down to that. But there's just too many, like, subplots going on with her. Mm-hmm. And it's very inconsistent and... Very all over the place. And we get two different breakup scenes between her and Theo. Yeah. Which was weird. I thought it was weird that they they broke up, made up, and then broke up again. And I was like, what's happening? Yeah, what (laughs) what was the point of this? Yeah. Yeah, I I would have liked a more focused and consistent 
story from Eloise this season because I do love her character. Yeah, I agree. Um, and by the end, her breaking up with Penelope, I do find that interesting. And I'm just glad that she figured it out by the end of the season. Yeah, that she knew that Penelope was Whistledown. I'm like, I can't take another season of Eloise <laughs> trying to figure out who Whistledown is. I know, is. yeah. It was really pushing it this season mm-hmm. to the extent of like what was interesting, so. Yeah, and the confrontation between them is really good because I think, you know, Eloise is obviously very hurt and upset and is confronting Penelope about that. And Penelope is sad about that, but she also kind of fires back at Eloise and being like, you're all talk and you're not doing anything Mm -hmm. about it. And I'm doing something and you can't criticize me for that. And so kind of showing that the two of them are really at odds here. And I think it makes sense because the two of them kind of have been at odds all season. Yeah. And this leaves us in a very interesting place, I think, for the next season. I did like this aspect and, and where it ended off with them. Yeah. Because of the uh, broken engagement and also Eloise's uh, reputation, um, the Bridgertons and the Kate and Edwina and their mother are all experiencing some societal shunning. <laughs> they both take very awkward strolls yes. through the park where they just get what they keep using a term promenading. Well, no, not when they get shunned or when they oh, get yeah. like I got something by someone. Oh, yeah. Cut. Or something yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> yeah it, it's just like so uncomfortable and like <laughs> awful but like i like that it is uniting the two families like yes. even though they had this like terrible falling out with mm-hmm. the wedding they're still like how do we get back on top from this yeah they decide to hold a ball and nobody comes <laughs> <laughs> and there's this great scene where when nobody is there uh they do like a family dance yeah and they even invite like the younger kids who aren't allowed to be at the ball but like they know how to dance and so they do like a little family thing Mm -hmm. and then only to discover that the uh whistle down has uh posted about eloise yeah and that's the real reason like nobody showed up yeah and then we get the scene and here we are a lot of build up yes uh kate confronts antony out in like a gazebo Mm -hmm. i think and they're just kind of talking about everything and how they can't be together and it's so dramatic but like Anthony also challenging her about like we have to do something for ourselves yeah i think it's this scene yes, right yeah like we should make a decision to make ourselves happy at this mm-hmm. point and stop doing stuff for our family yeah and they're like angsty like antagonistic flirting finally reaches its crescendo yes when they finally kiss and then start to undress each other i know i was like what are they gonna oh my god they're yeah they're oh my god they're fucking they're having sex right here i'm like where are they we're in the proximity to the house where are yeah they? how close are they can someone walk in like walk up to them like what's yeah. happening uh i really loved this scene it was great. it was very sexy it was very um consensual and they were both so into it you could tell the chemistry was really there we get um like a shot of Antony going down on Kate. Mm-hmm. So she he's, you know, giving her oral sex, which I always love. Giving and, her what she needs. Yes. Love to see it. Yeah. No, it was just uh, after all the like uncomfortable sex stuff around the main plot line of last season with like Daphne. Yeah. Not knowing what sex is and yeah. Simon having to like sh- and then also not knowing how children are born. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yes, two consenting adults that like. 
I'm going to assume Kate knows yeah. how everything works and yeah. that we don't have to be concerned about this. She knows what she's agreeing to. And I mean, they're having sex outside of marriage, but they're both. And I love that Kate is kind of like taking control in this situation and yeah. saying, like, I'm not going to stop, you know? <laughs> yeah, because at one point, Anthony's like, I'll stop. And then yeah. she's like, no, don't you stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's a great sex scene. And like, there weren't many sex scenes this season. No. Whereas last season, once again, it felt like... The montage of sex? Yeah, just a lot of sex. Even before it was Simon and Daphne. Yeah. Like, it was Antony having sex with the opera singer Mm -hmm. and, like, a lot of that stuff. But, like, this season, like, it really held out until this moment when it was, like, a a great payoff. Yeah. Um, In the morning, Kate is gone and Antony is going to go and propose to her. Um, But she's out on her horse. He goes after her and sees her fall off her horse. Yeah. And she's in a coma. And she bonks her head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Once again, like, I I think this show does such a great job of balancing uh, genre tropes. Yeah. And, like, embracing that it's, like, a kind of cheesy. Melodramatic. Melodramatic period romance drama. But still infusing that with great writing and great characters. Yeah. Like, This is, like, a part where it's, like, it's so melodramatic and kind of (laughs) silly. Yeah. Like, she falls off her horse in the rain and Mm -hmm. ends up, like, in a fucking coma. Yeah. But it doesn't um, make it super dramatic like it is. But when she comes out of the coma, I thought that scene was really well done. Mm -hmm. And Antony was, like, super concerned about her. Yeah. And when he finds out that she woke up and is okay, he, like, has a moment of crying. Yeah. And it's so sweet and touching. Mm -hmm. And, like, the two scenes following this... Uh, are just excellent. Just such good writing and so emotionally, such good payoffs. I love the scene with Anthony and his mom. Yeah. Because his mom is kind of confronting him and saying like, I'm so sorry for what you had to go through when your father died. Yeah. Acknowledging the burden that she had, mm-hmm. you know, unintentionally placed on him. And, but also kind of saying like, I would do it all over again if I could, because even though, it literally destroyed me to lose your father. Like his love and being with him was worth it and kind of says like love is always worth it. And I don't want you to suffer and to live a life without love. Like I want you to be happy. Yeah. It was just so great seeing them finally talk about what had happened in the past. Cause I think she finally sees what it's done to Antony. Yeah. Like how concerned he was over uh, Kate's condition and Mm -hmm. her maybe dying and, uh, yeah, it was just such a sweet and great moment. And similarly, Kate has a moment later because Antony proposes to Kate. Or almost does. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he technically does. He has like the ring out yeah. and it's like, eh, yeah. and she's like, yeah, put that away. Because mm-hmm. she's still intent on going back to India and not like going through with anything yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, but then Kate has a discussion with her mom. And it's such a great moment. And like, I think... The parallels between Kate and Antony are so good. How they're both the older siblings in a family that lost a parent. Mm -hmm. And the responsibility they feel towards their family and providing. uh, In in this case, Kate felt she needed to help Edwina to be married. Mm -hmm. She wasn't. She was so self-sacrificing. And that her and Antony are both so self-sacrificing. Yeah. But... To the detriment of not only themselves, but also the people around them. Yeah, and just showing how toxic that can be. Yeah. Yeah. I love Daphne gives Antony a great talk Mm -hmm. earlier 
where she's like, I pity you yeah. for making all these sacrifices that nobody asked you to make. And, and nobody wants. And then resenting everyone for it. Yeah. And you're like, damn. That was good. And <laughs> Anthony and Kate share that. Yeah. And Kate in this scene talking to her mom. And just so much comes out where Kate is saying how grateful she is to Mary. Mm-hmm. For, for loving her like a daughter. Yeah. Even though she wasn't her daughter by birth. And her and her stepmother Mary is like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, she's like, "You don't owe me anything," and kind of saying like, "You deserve to be loved." And from the moment I met you, I loved you, and you are my daughter. And like, we know that they have a good relationship, right? Yeah. We know that they're family, but there's this kernel that's been within Kate where she feels like she owes something to Mary and to Edwina for them accepting her as like blood, even though she isn't. You yeah. know, and I love that the mom in this moment is just like, you deserve to be loved and to be happy and you don't owe anything to me or to Edwina. Yeah. It's so, both of these scenes are just so touching. Yeah. Uh, the Featheringtons end up at this point hosting a ball and, uh, shit goes down here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> Colin, poor Colin, we're like, oh my God. He's Col- investing. Colin was tricked last season into yeah. almost marrying Miss Thompson and like that got all fucked up and now he's going to invest in these fake <laughs> ruby mines yeah. like this poor this poor simple idiot <laughs> but then it ends up Colin is talking to Penelope about this mm-hmm. and ends up confronting Lord Featherington where he takes the ruby necklace and smashes it and it's like that's glass yeah. there are no ruby mines in Georgia you're defrauding everyone get you- the fuck out of town or i'm going to tell everybody yeah yeah uh he like wants ever he wants him to like pay everyone back mm-hmm. and I just, I loved this moment so much. Yeah. Because it subverts what we were both thinking. I know, and I love this for Colin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, And so this puts Lord Featherington in a position where he's like, all right, I guess we got to leave town immediately. Yeah, and he wants Mrs. Featherington to go with him. And in this moment, she's like, okay, sure. And you can tell that she's plotting on her own, yeah. too. And she ends up betraying him by telling him that she has arranged it so it will look like she wasn't involved in any of this. Mm-hmm. And that, what was the other thing? Like forging his name on some kind of document? Yeah, I kind of forget. It was a little bit confusing. It was. Like you got the gist of it that like she w- was in the clear and basically it's on him to just leave town and yeah. that she can pretend to be dumb about it. Mm-hmm. Um, And so he's like, ah, you sexy <laughs> betrayer like he's just like they they kind of have to part here and he has to i guess he he probably goes back to america yeah and i don't know what position this leaves like the featherington household like is he still i know the rightful well i guess the the forgery thing was that when um her daughter has a child it'll go to that child yes so that's all taken care of now Mm -hmm. so she's kind of like reclaimed ownership over the house and everything essentially yes um yeah so that was an interesting turn of events definitely and we also get kate and antony finally coming together here we can see that kate and edwina have kind of made up they they end up dancing together at this ball which is a sweet moment it's very sexy and sweet dance and then oh i, I said kate and edwina you said, oh my god <laughs> In my mind, I was already thinking of Anthony. Oh, my God. I just meant like them making up and the two of them dance together. Yes, yes. Yeah. Their their dance is great. Just kind of not caring about what other people. It is not sexy. 
<laughs> um, but then Antony yes. dances with Kate. Mm-hmm. And that dance is sexy. Yes. And they come together and admit that they love each other. Yeah. And then the fireworks go off. And they kiss. It's beautiful. Yeah. And we get like a little flash forward mm-hmm. to them being married. They do a lot of making out like in front of everyone. In front of their families. Like, this stop. is up. This is weird. It's too much. Stop. <laughs> but that was the end of the show. Yeah. Let's go back to the book. Let's find out what happens in the book <laughs> after uh, after Antony tried to suck the bee venom out of uh, out of Kate's boobs. Yes. <laughs> So now that Kate is about to be married uh, to Antony, yes. Mary has to give her the talk. Yes. And it is just about as ineffective and lacking of information as the talk from the last book. I know. And she specifically says, like, I had to go into marriage not knowing what sex was and it was a bad experience for me. And I never want that for my daughters. But then she doesn't say anything. No. <laughs> uh, like, Kate is like, I mean, I've seen farm animals yeah. fucking And it. she's like, okay, you're good. Great. That's all you need to know. <laughs> you're good. Okay, bye. Uh, also, Antony has a talk with Kate as well. Yes. He shows up and his whole point is to be like, listen, we can have a perfectly reasonable marriage filled with lots of sex. Yes. Uh, just so long as you understand, I will never, ever love you <laughs> ever in my life. Never. I cannot love you. And she's like kind of upset about this because she didn't think he was in love with her, but she thought that he was like into her and she felt like she was into him and she felt like they could love each other. Right. Yeah. That it was pen- a potential. And then he's like, nope, I cannot love you. And then he licks her nipple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. There's so much nipple boob I know. play yeah. in these books. I don't know why that's the well, thing. Well, and that was the thing that happened in yes. the last book where he was trying to lick her nipple Simon. and that's when they got caught. Yeah. <laughs> why is that the I don't thing? <laughs> I don't know if it's like what the author feels like is the middle line between like being too pornographic versus like keeping it classy and like the stuff they can do before they're married you know yeah (laughs) just all goes back to the nipples i guess too much but yeah it was just like what was the note i wrote like um anthony tells her he'll never be into her and then sucks her tits Because that's exactly how the scene plays that's out. what happens, yeah. They do get married, and then, of course, we get um, their first sex scene together where she has to gasp at his dick size. Oh it's required, it's I guess. It's so cringy. <laughs> just all of it. Yeah. Like, every woman in this just becomes putty in a man's hand. Yeah. And it's, like, it's so frustrating because, like, obviously it's, like, the societal expectations, like, the men can be experienced at sex because yeah. they can like have mistresses and visit prostitutes, but the women can't mm-hmm. and they don't even get a decent talk from their mothers about what no. to expect. So like, no. I, I I think this is a world where it's a problem because men can never be told they're bad at sex. <laughs> yeah. Cause they haven't had sex with anyone else. Yeah. They're either having sex with prostitutes who they're paying yeah. or then they're having sex with their wife, their wife who they, who's never had sex before and doesn't yeah. know what to expect. They're like, <laughs> I guess this is good. Yeah. I know. It's dumb. And just like the man, the man in these books is always like just super good at sex. And mm-hmm. like, I hate I it. mean, it's it's the romance. Genre. It is. I just it is not. 
it is not for me. <laughs> I just do not care for it. I don't like the whole dynamic of the woman being like overwhelmed because it's her first time, you know? Yeah. It just bothers me. Um, but we also get Kate kind of figuring out her thunderstorm trauma here. She has another episode where a thunderstorm happens and Antony is there to comfort her. And he sees her kind of go into this like state where it seems like she's reverting to her childhood and ends up calling out for her mother. And they decide to talk to her stepmom about this and ask how her mother really died. Yes. And they discovered that she was very, she became very sick, mm -hmm. uh, like a lung yeah, disease. a lung disease. And that the night that she died, it had been storming. Mm -hmm. And so Kate now has this, like, even though she doesn't remember this, like, she yeah. has this internal association with storms and death. And she saw her mother die, and it was pretty traumatic. Like, her mom kind of suffered a lot. Yeah. Um. So, but, like, apparently knowing the truth is enough to cure Kate now. Yeah. We don't get a follow-up on this as to whether... She's no. okay in thunderstorms now because then they were like, all right, that topic's over. That's how trauma works is you just figure <laughs> out like the clue yeah. as to like what caused it. And then it's, it's and done. And then you're over it, Yeah, right? then it's over. <laughs> Antony also has his trauma, right? And the two of them are together and it seems like they're really in love, but they won't admit it to each other. And, you know, Kate ends up saying something to him about forever and it freaks him out. And he ends up leaving her because he's so upset about this because he realizes that he's fallen in love with her and he doesn't want to. Yes. Uh, it only takes like one brief talk with his brothers <laughs> where they were like, I don't know, man, just like go back and say I love you. And he's like, wow, you're right. Holy shit. What, <laughs> what great advice. And yeah. so he goes to confess his love to her. He finds out that she's in the park with Edwina and this man that she is like having a thing with. Yeah. Uh, he goes to the park just in time to witness the carriage that is that they are in flip over yeah and, and crash and crash and like get destroyed yeah somehow <laughs> i like i don't know somehow the dog is responsible See, here's the thing ian is the dog trying to kill edwina mm, it might be because remember when the dog pushes edwina <laughs> into the water and then yeah. crashes the carriage that edwina is yeah, in yeah um Edwina escapes unscathed, but Kate is trapped under the carriage and ends up with a broken leg. And this scene, you know, Antony is totally distraught. He is afraid that Kate is dead. He's trying to get her out of the carriage. Um, and he ends up telling her that he loves her here. Yeah. Uh, she passes out when she sees her mangled leg. <laughs> but when she wakes up in bed later, they end up having a talk where he finally verbalizes the feelings he's had about, like, his dad dying and never feeling like he'll get older than him yeah and kate tells him like that's not right she's mm -hmm. like i get why you feel that way but like obviously we can't control when we die yeah all we can do is try to enjoy the time that we have mm -hmm. and you know they end up bonding over this moment and yeah. it seems like it helps antony a lot and that's basically where the story ends mm -hmm. we get an epilogue yes of them on his 39th birthday i think yeah Finally surpassing his old man. Yes. <laughs> and uh, them just having, they have kids now. Yeah. Having a nice little party. And there's one interesting hint to the identity of uh, Lady Whistledown. Oh, yeah. At this point. Mm -hmm. um, about her saying nice things about Colin always mm -hmm. in the paper. Which yeah. I thought was interesting. <laughs> Even though we haven't like gotten to that point in the stories. Yes. Um, I kind of thought that was interesting. But yeah. 
that's uh, that's the end of the book at this point. Yeah. Wow. Um, very vastly different. It's so funny because the setups for both are the same. And then they go in two wildly different directions. Yeah. And I was really shocked when reading this book because we were watching the show at the same time and seeing it diverge that way. I was like, oh, my God, where is this going? I have no idea. Especially when uh, the bee sting scene happens and they're OK, I guess they're getting married now. I'm like, what else could possibly happen in this book? <laughs> I, I know. Um <laughs> You know, I like at the end of the book, similar to the last book, it is about a man like dealing with his shit. Yeah. And yeah. like growing because of it. But I'm like, I don't feel like we're ever addressing the other toxic traits of the man. Yeah. Like wanting to inflict violence on people and being very proud of his dick for no reason. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many other issues that like aren't addressed that yeah. I still find very frustrating. Yeah. Like, even though I admire it for like addressing those issues. There's still so much more to go. So which one's better? The show. The show is better. <laughs> I, I really love this season. And in fact, I think I like this season more than the first season. I did too. The chemistry between Kate and Anthony was so strong and so good. And I love their performances. I mean, I didn't know how they were going to make me like Anthony after last season. Yeah. But I really loved his character. And you really understood why they were the way they, they were. Yeah. Both Kate and Anthony. And then I think the show also did a really great job of looping in the other Bridgerton siblings yes. and then the Featheringtons and all these other subplots and making it feel very cohesive the way that they intersected. I completely agree. I Because I liked last season a lot too, but I thought the worst part of it, honestly, was Daphne and Simon's relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just didn't buy it. Like, I didn't like their dynamic all that much. Like, a lot of the... Uh, conflict felt really kind of contrived mm -hmm. and this season uh that the main love interest ended up being the best part yeah it was super well explored it mm -hmm. was like really interesting the characters were super fleshed out and, yeah and it still had a lot of the good additional side characters like last season had. yeah um so yeah i mean i i was super impressed with this season minus like like a subplot or two that I thought could have been better or like that. Too much uh, like almost kissing and not kissing. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that fourth and fifth episode mm -hmm. that had some problems, like kind of a dip for me. Yeah. Um, but ultimately it, it recovered from that. And like, I would watch this season again, honestly. Yeah. Like I really enjoyed it. It's so good. So, I mean, if you, you know, haven't watched this season yet or you're not sure about giving Bridgerton a try, definitely do it because I think this season is definitely worth it. Yeah. And as for the book, can't say I would recommend if it. If you like romance books, yeah. maybe read it. Um, If you don't, I don't think I would recommend it. I just can't get over how, like, no character makes any choices that no, move the plot No, they're forward. forced into marriage. And I'm like, why is this happening again? Yeah. And even Antony's decision to tell hit, uh, Kate that he loves her, like... I mean, yeah, it's important, but, like, it wouldn't change anything in their lives if he didn't. Like, yeah. it wouldn't change their living. It just feels like something that inevitably was going to happen. Yeah. As opposed to, like, a real choice. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, huge improvements made in the show. So it's the show from both of us. Let's, let's do lightning. Let's do a lightning. Okay, so first up for lightning round, these books are kind of like supposed to be for Jane Austen fans, right? Yeah. And in fact, there's a reference in the book where Edwina, um, her mother Mary says Edwina is off reading the latest Austen book, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And this year is the year 1814, and I was immediately like, um, no, <laughs> because Jane Austen published her books anonymously. 
And it wasn't until after her death that her brother published them and revealed her true name. They were published by a lady because at that time, women didn't publish. Mm. So this is wrong, Julia Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) Shame on you. That's really interesting, though. That's funny. So there's this this part in the show that's so funny where... I think it's when they're planning the ball. Yeah. And to like uh, regain their status in society. After the botched wedding. Yeah. And they're talking about having to keep Antony <laughs> and uh, Kate away from each other because yeah. of their chemistry. <laughs> and at this point, when they're sitting down, the dog comes over to them and like, I think it jumps on Antony and he has to stand up and mm-hmm. Kate's like, oh, I'm sorry. And like grabs they, the dog. And they have this like awkward like moment <laughs> with each other. And it's hard to even explain what happens. Yeah. But like there's just such a palpable chemistry with them. Yeah. And it's so funny. And then Edwina <laughs> is watching them and turns to everyone else. And she's like, have I been blind? <laughs> have they been like this the whole time? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny. It's great. I love that. Uh, so first up, first up, I have to say, uh, the queen mentions the prince to Edwina Yes, at the ball when it seems like Kate and Antony are finally getting together. She's like, did you know that I have, um, a nephew? And we're like, the prince, the prince, our fan favorite from last season. Hopefully Edwina, who's so sweet, ends up with that very kind and gentle prince. I just want to see them together like yeah. next season. I yes. want to see it. And then I have to mention um, the cake man, who's a jeweler, <laughs> yeah. who in two separate scenes is like looking at jewelry for people and is like, oh, do you have any cake? <laughs> I, a, a very brief uh, but memorable performance yeah. yes, by this character, the jeweler. Yeah, I loved that. The cake man. So I listened to a lot of this on audiobook. Um, and there was a part where I was listening to it and a line was read. And I was like, what? And I had to like go back and listen to it again. <laughs> so Kate is outside and... If she remained in the house, she'd surely be roped into joining the group of ladies chatting in the drawing room while they were while they wrote correspondence to friends and family. Or worse, she'd be stuck with the coterie who'd retired to the orangery to pursue their embroidery. (laughs) (laughs) The coterie to the orangery to to pursue their their (laughs) embroidery. And like I heard that and I was like, what? What? And I like listened to it again and I'm like, was this supposed to sound <laughs> as ridiculous as it did? That's great. <laughs> I would have never noticed that, but it's funny. Yeah, to reading to it, it, yeah, she'd be stuck with the coterie to, who retired to the orangery to pursue their embroidery. <laughs> wow. I, it, absurd. <laughs> That's the end of our lightning round. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, This was really fun to discuss. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am very excited for the next season of Bridgerton. (laughs) Yes. And uh, I love getting to talk about the show. And Mm -hmm. you know what? It is entertaining to read these romance novels. And then complain about them. And get to complain about them. (laughs) So I am very excited to do the next season as well. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so at any level and you get access to our bonus episodes that we come out with every month. And um, patrons also get priority episode suggestions. So if you'd like us to discuss a book-to-movie adaptation, um, consider becoming a patron. Yes. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a positive star rating is hugely helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. You can find all those links at CoverToCredits.com, where you can also listen to episodes. Yep. Uh, Thanks again for listening to this one. 
We will see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.